people always say this and I don't see it as like a, I don't see it as a negative, but it, it's always that like kind of turpentine when you get really old whiskey. Oh, it's yeah. just the first. There's a lot of sweet behind it though. I mean, Jesus. Mm-hmm. They don't make them like that. <laughs> they actually don't. everyone my name is john edwards and with me is zeke baker and together we make the dad's drinking bourbon wherever you are whatever time it is thank you for making us a part of your day and zeke say hello to the folks but this is just a quick little hitter we're just seeing what's going on we have a little teaser because we have a longer interview with the man who's sitting next to us this friday but introduce yourself and then i'll introduce him hi my name's zeke and what's your sign? <laughs> Do you like long walks on the beach? No, I get winded very easily. <laughs> no eight-minute miles for me. <laughs> Anyways, we have Sean Josephs from Pinhook with us in the room. We just recorded a longer episode that will be released here on Friday. But it's Wednesday. We want to release something fun. This is a a whiskey that Zeke brought out that has some meaning for Sean. But Sean, say hi to everyone. How's it going, everybody? For anyone who listens to the full episode, you'll maybe realize why my career as a basketball or NBA (laughs) analyst never materialized. (laughs) Just a fair warning. You you didn't have enough biting like Marv Albert. You know, yes, and it counts. My career was really good at uh, analyzing pre and post game of basketball, but I was never good as a play-by-play. So, Zeke, tell everybody what you brought today. The last time we were here, we found out that uh, before Pinhook in a, a much earlier time, Sean was part of a, a bar called Char Number no. 4, I believe in Brooklyn. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm ad-libbing at best here. You got it. That's all right. Uh, and coincidentally, I happened to have a, a 21-year Bernheim weeder from Willett that was a, uh, a co-barrel pick between Char Number no. 4 and a store of spirits there in New York. So I, I told him then, since I didn't know, that I, I felt bad. But when we got together again in the future, it would definitely make an appearance. So I didn't want to uh, fall short of that by any means. I do want to just mention, you know, because Zeke is your favorite. <laughs> and I do want to mention that before he found out the Char Number no. 4 and all that stuff, he's like... I don't know why you want to have this guy on talking about horses and horse whiskey. and It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't That's know awesome. how interesting he's going to be. And to watch Zeke's face as you talked about your ascension in the industry and, and where you worked, and he was like, he was a really good guest. You didn't tell me how deep he went. We stayed up till 3 a.m. Yeah, we did. <laughs> you did go deep. <laughs> you, you left. We kept going. Hey, I left about 1.30 because oh, I didn't want to get yelled at. So this is kind of nice because everything comes full circle. You worked a bunch of places. Char number four in Brooklyn, Kenton's in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah, those were so those were I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but those are restaurants that I opened. So char number four I opened in two thousand and eight, which I always like to drop a pin here, not to um, say anything beyond for anyone who's listening who doesn't remember 2008. It was when no one cared about 
bourbon. Well, no, that's literally what I, I thought would be a, a fun, quick discussion of anything was simply, I assume at least plenty of folks that listen now, they, they see the boom and they see where the market is now. And and they inevitably see what aged bottles like this go for. And I'm not sure touting that either, but most things are pretty transparent with secondary groups, markets, yeah. et cetera. And, you know, something like this, any of the Linnell's picks, et cetera. I just have to back up and say, I didn't mean, there are obviously plenty of people that love bourbon, but the bourbon industry as we know it today, there was no such thing at the time as really like cult bourbons. There was no bourbon secondary market. Uh, Elijah Craig 18 wholesaled for $35. I was buying <laughs> Hirsch 16 year from my distributor every week. I was buying, you know, if you know, uh, KBD, I was buying vintage 17 year bourbon, which I think wholesaled for $38 vintage 21 and 23 year rye, which were phenomenal. Don't you wish you just, those are amazing. Of course. At that point, that's how I always prove that I'm not that smart because anybody think about this, just, and I'm just picking two random ones. You could have filled an entire storage container. I could have called up my distributor and said, please send me 350 cases of Elijah Craig 18. And they would have been like, great, sure. It'll be there tomorrow. Um, you my, could have had all the pappy you wanted. My storage unit isn't looking yeah. that bad now, yeah. is it, Z? <laughs> um, you could have had all the pappy you wanted. You could have had all the whatever. I mean, it was all available. And, you know, it's just the, the boom hadn't started. And obviously there were there were enthusiasts out there, but... There was no, I would, the, the one I remember the most, and I hate to just focus on Pappy, but it's just the one that everyone's the most familiar with. My friends who owned other restaurants or were, were the beverage people at other restaurants would give me their Pappy at cost because you just couldn't sell a $20 glass of bourbon. Do you know what I mean? Like the that's, that's, is, that's where it was, but it wasn't even going for 20 bucks a glass at that point. No, it was hard to, it was hard to move someone. It was funny. I was at a store in Chicago. I think it was about a year ago. And they were telling me when Julian Van Winkle was there back in the day with like cardboard cutouts. Just, yeah. I mean, just imagine this idea that he was like someone who had to run around and hustle Pappy, just like, you know, I now actually have to try to hustle Pinhook, although there are no like cardboard <laughs> cutout of a horse or anything. But like, you actually have to run around and like try to get people to get excited about it, not just have this um, market of people who are just would do anything to taste your product. And th that's what's really changed. I always tell people being at Kentucky and anybody who's listened to this podcast, I apologize. This is the hundredth time I've told the story out of 110 shows that we've had. But you know, when I was in college at University of Kentucky, we could walk across the street to Kroger and the stuff that was inside Kroger. Oh yeah, that we just all took for granted. I mean that that's essentially we. I drank Pappy then, and I drank ETL then, and mm -hmm. there was stuff like, I mean, we had EHT Tornado bottles just sitting on the shelf, and you, you didn't think twice of it. It was like we were spoiled, and we took it for granted, because we were like, oh, we're poor college kids, so we're going to drink Makers 99% of the time, and it wasn't like we were even thinking about what are the nuances between a Pappy or a Woodford or all that other stuff that's going on. I mean, I, I wasn't yeah. to the point where I was super drinking high cask uh, or, or cask strength whiskey. I don't know. But I mean, to crazy. your point, when I, I remember when I first started, you know, we started Pinhook in 2010. Like that's when we 
you know, first had the idea, it's like, oh, we should make our own bourbon. I mean, that's an oversimplification, but that's pretty much what happened and got, got our, you know, first barrels from, from LDI. But when we started traveling to Kentucky regularly, that was still a point where even though the boom hadn't happened, you were still seeing a lot of product that wasn't making it that much out of Kentucky. So we just go to some, you know, liquor store in Bardstown and all the antique collection, it was just all that stuff. And we weren't, but the interesting thing, even at that point is we weren't buying it because we thought there was resale value. We were buying it because these were bottles that we weren't seeing readily. Stag, Handy, Sazerac 18, Eagle 17, et cetera, William Lou Weller, all that kind of stuff. We were buying them because we just wanted the bottles. And by the way, at the time, retail, they were $55 or $57. And so <laughs> we were almost spending more money shipping the bottles you know, from Kentucky back to New York than we were spending on the bottles themselves. And that, um, if you could find 2004 George C. Stag, call me. Oh, man. So even, I, I would uh, presume, funnier, especially some of this older cash drink stuff that does go for absurd amounts of money. Was anybody back then even drinking it neat? Or were these all cocktails and, and et cetera? I think that, I mean, the one thing that was interesting with char number four is we were really, at least in New York, I mean, this is at least my memory, we were the first restaurant that was focused around American whiskey. So when you walked into char number four, you saw something that now is very familiar but wasn't at the time which was a fully illuminated wall behind <laughs> the bar that was only American. The cocktails were only American whiskey cocktails. So we had vodka, rum, gin, tequila in the well. As far as the beverage program was concerned, we were presenting an ethos around this. Obviously, it was called Char Number 4. Yeah. There's a wall of only American whiskey. We had scotch and um, Irish whiskey, Canadian whiskey, Japanese whiskey, etc. Those were all in drawers behind the bar, and that was very intentional. It was meant to be a celebration of American whiskey because that's just where the enthusiasm was. There was really no excitement about it at the time. So it wasn't like we weren't really trying to prove a point. We were just trying to showcase a passion that we had. And so, you know, if you wanted to order a, an apple martini or, a you know, whatever you wanted, you could you could order it. But as far as a cocktail on the menu, they were only American whiskey cocktails. And. Our chef was from Texas, and he was had worked at for Daniel Balud at all these fancy restaurants. But we had a smoker, and it wasn't barbecue. But we were, you know, making our own charcuterie and making our own bologna and making our own bacon and serving a really good steak. And it was really just about bringing together, in a way, what we thought was like this quintessential American restaurant that was focused around American whiskey. But anyway, I guess my point is what I remember thinking was, you know, my background was in the wine business. So I put together a small, but I thought really good wine list. We had a good selection of beers. People could drink other spirits. I really had no sense and no idea or clue if people were going to go for the bourbons. <laughs> I really didn't. Like, I remember having that feeling like I have no idea if people are going to walk into this place and want to look at this array, which at the time you have to understand probably in order to put 160 bottles on the shelf, because this was back when there was one maker skew, there was one Knob Creek skew. There just weren't as many iterations of the bigger brands. Mm -hmm. There was almost no craft stuff. There was Hudson baby at the time. There was Stranahan's there was St. George single malt. I mean, it was a very limited I, Balcones wasn't even out yet. So it was a very limited amount of stuff out there. What was interesting though, and I don't, I have no theory on this right from the start. And maybe the, my theory is that it, it's, it's 
there's something so appetizing about brown spirits, especially, I mean, we're sitting at this table right now that's white and there's nice light in here. It's just one of the most, to me, like one of the most appetizing (laughs) colors, but people looked at this wall and from the day we opened, even though there wasn't at the time, this bourbon boom going, people were just ordering everything and just wanted to try mellow corn has and they were the thing was that it was all laid out in front of you it wasn't just in a book you could see it all and so you're looking at this wall and you're like what's that crazy looking like green and yellow label oh mellow corn yeah we're selling that for a dollar an ounce you want to give it a go and see what you think and so man i do think we turned a lot of people in that neighborhood into bourbon lovers and you know gq when we when we opened they named char number four and proof on maine in louisville to be the two best places to drink bourbon in america but i think part of that was again i'm not saying this is like oh because char number four was so awesome there just weren't that many places outside of kentucky that had an american whiskey centric so do you miss the restaurant side of it i mean knowing that you're whole thing is pinhook all day every day now i just see it as an evolution i mean i started in the restaurant business as a food runner and then i became a server and then i got into wine and i became a captain and then ultimately i became a sommelier and the my interest in wine made me curious about tasting other things i found that american whiskey and this goes back to our original conversation the complexity and the quality of american whiskey relative to price certainly back in 2007 2006 because <laughs> elijah craig 18 was you know 50 dollars <laughs> at a retail shop i was like how can this thing that's only 50 bucks or forget about that i mean what did you know elijah craig 12 year cost at the time or stag you know george c stag was 60 dollars retail or 55 dollars retail so i was trained in wine to analyze wine quality relative, you know, you're looking for complexity, quality relative to price. And bourbon was kind of blowing me away for being so incredibly complex and delicious relative to the price point that I just fell in love with it. And that's what ultimately led me to then when I decided to open my own restaurant to not make it wine focused, but to actually focus on on bourbon. The one time being a, a drinker, not a hoarder, Kind of came back to bite you. <laughs> you. You'd have hoarded all those bottles back then. I should, yeah. <laughs> I will tell you though, the C14A. Yeah. To to get to the thing that, yeah, we're, actually that we're actually supposed to be talking drinking. About. Yeah. You you're right. Sean kind of mentioned it has a little bit of turpentine on the nose, but it is like a dessert when oh, you drink a, it. It's a sweet bomb, and obviously we we it's in not our, something in we our drink show, every day. We, and in our shows, we try to spend much time on anything that's not obtainable just because it doesn't seem overly relevant uh, it was relevant to this atmosphere and all three of us being together and that, that's really what i thought was much more interesting or would be interesting to people was just that time and that how different it really was and it wasn't that long ago you know no. it's, not, it's not we're talking about like the 60s and 70s or something you know literally a stone's throw back in the day no one was after this stuff I mean, I, folks I know, cared yeah. but I don't know. I'll be honest and say I don't know enough about, you know, how bourbon actually ages to say the why. But I taste stuff that's 10 years old that tastes too old to me, like tastes too woody. This is 21 years old. And while it has that kind of a little bit of that, like paint thinner turpentine thing on the nose, which, as Zeke said, has like there's a sweetness underneath it, though, which makes it makes it nice on the palate. It's just all like kind of like dried fruit and raisins and, and doesn't there. It basically has no, to me, 
kind of tannic bitter wood quality. Agreed. And so I don't know. I wouldn't even begin to guess. It's like, was it aged in the coolest part of the the rick house or is it just a freak barrel or what it is about it but man or even just better wood back then yeah who knows what all the permutations could be but like as you said somehow you almost feel like they don't make it like this anymore <laughs> no. and i don't even know what makes was this from pre-fire no this is old bernheim weeder oh, okay original bernheim edfoot back in the day do the note of the, the bar scene and i'm not sure how this will line up between uh when the episode comes out and reality, quote unquote, but I know John and I are definitely interested to hear what you think of a 404 kitchen coming up soon and the dinner we're having there. They've done very well at the Gertie's bar side of things to have a really nice spread. Oh my super God. Super good presentation. They have a, they have, I mean, I, know, seems, you, I, I know you've been in town plenty, but I don't know if you've yeah, been in yet or not. I've been in there and okay. that, I mean, I just remember looking up there and being like, what do they have? 40 different Willets. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's, it's pretty deep. And I think it, it's definitely a place where you can play around and encounter some pretty phenomenal, interesting stuff. <laughs> and honestly, I still think in the scheme of things, even though whiskey has gotten super expensive or American whiskey, I still think at the end of the day, when I walk into a place and you think about these bottles of wine that, you know, will sell for 800 bucks, a thousand bucks, 4,000 bucks, 10,000 bucks. The fact that you could go into probably a place like Gertie's and I'm just guessing, I mean, I haven't looked at their list recently i think there are a lot of things that you could taste for 20 30 40 dollars that would kind of be mind-bending oh he has an owa pick that's 20 bucks a pour that is crazy crazy good i should just mention too that as this is coming out wednesday on tuesday night we will be having a pinhook dinner with you at 404 kitchen i'm just going to go on the record now saying thank you very much for the dinner it was very very good <laughs> so we, we Boy, paid we for it we did pay for our own ticket to go to the dinner <laughs> but it was a very very good dinner i was uh, amazed how moderate we all were in our drinking that was yes impressive. i'm i'm amazed at how and i don't feel hungover. yeah <laughs> i'm amazed at how great i feel wednesday morning knowing that we did this last night and knowing that I had to edit this whole episode and get it out before this morning after we had the dinner last night. I wish I could tell you more about the food, but I know it was good. It was amazing. You know, if, if Chef Bolas had anything to do with it, and we've had him on this show, we know it's good food. We know it was good drinks with Pinhook. We know it was just a good time at 404 Kitchen. It was amazing. Thank you for, for <laughs> spending the time. It was a blast. <laughs> I, I just have to say, Zeke, thank you for sharing the C14A. It's oh, like man. candy. Thank you, thank you very much. Hey, like you said, it's a sharing. Meant to be drink. On that note, I, I want to also say, if you are going to bring something to share with people, go check out our friends at High Camp Flask. They have two different types of flasks that are perfect for sharing. They have the Firelight Flask, which is 750 milliliters. It actually has two tumblers, Zeke, that attach to the flask, top and bottom. It's 750 milliliters, so you can take a bottle of your favorite pinhook bourbon or pinhook rye, put it right in that high camp flask, take it with you wherever you want. You have two glasses 
that are waiting for you that attach magnetically to the high camp flask. You want to go camping? Go ahead and throw a bottle in there. Go camping. You have two glasses waiting for you while you sit by the fire. There's a no drip lip. And that's when when you actually seal the thing, you know it's not going to leak on you. So it's great. Go ahead and visit highcampflask.com. Use code DDB before Sunday, Father's Day, and you are going to get 20% off your High Camp Flask. So use code DDB at highcampflask.com. You can find them on Instagram at highcampflask. Check out a bunch of great uses for your High Camp Flask. But I mean, you could definitely clock a bear, some other animal on these things. I mean, <laughs> it's 375. You could grab it like an old school Nerf back in the day. Something comes at you, just whap, or you're at the campfire, and you know some family member or close friends had too much, and they keep talking too much. <laughs> campfire to the back of the head, don't know what happened. I night, know. night, bud. I, I want to see a video of that. I don't know if High Camp Flask would condone us actually doing that in the video, but I'd love to see you try to clock a bear and see what happens after. Oh, I said nerf, like you throw from a distance. <laughs> so you get away. <laughs> well, the good thing is you know that it's magnetically sealed, so you know that cup isn't going to go anywhere. Or you won't lose any booze, most importantly. Exactly. That too. Sean, what do you think about this C14A? Anything you want to add about this pour? I mean, you might have said it. it it's I would take this over an actual like sweet dessert any day of the yeah. week. What else would you need? I mean, it the fact that it's got this much age on it and is still maintaining so much sweetness. It's kind of raisiny, and I don't like to get too. I don't like to go too far down the rabbit hole of like specific tasting notes, but it's just it has a lot of. It is rich. It is sweet. For 136.8 proof, it is remarkably smooth and balanced, and it's truly a beautiful whiskey, and I think it's emblematic of what a 21-year-old whiskey should taste like, and it also, I think, shows how much, you know, there are things that are half their age that show a lot more age than this, in a way. It's beautiful. What do you you think about this? Because I want to know what Sean is going to like better, so (laughs) I I want to know what position Sean is going to take, so go ahead and take your position on this so Sean can agree with you. It's my bottle. Of of course I love it. I don't like it better. (laughs) Is is there any analogy that you have about this bottle that Sean I'm just gonna, like gonna remember for the rest of my life. Hey, it was, uh, it was, I won't say passed down to me, but a, a, a nice deal was given to me by a very close friend, and it's meant for sharing with close friends. And so you have no tasting notes on it. No one's ever told me it wasn't good. <laughs> well, it doesn't suck <laughs> exactly. Anyways, please tune in on Friday. Download our conversation with Sean. We actually went for an hour and a half. We we talked about a little bit of everything, some basketball, just because we were sitting here They're watching the NBA here. finals. But we went in and we talked a lot about whiskey. But stay tuned. Tune in on Friday. Go ahead and download that. As you're driving and going someplace for Father's Day weekend, it's a great thing for you to listen to while you're on the road. Gives you a lot to do. Sean, Thank you very, very much for coming in and spending some time with us recording a couple episodes. Go ahead and check out Pinhook Bourbon at Pinhook Bourbon on Instagram. Sean is hashtag dot bourbon on Instagram, pinhookbourbon.com. Download the Pinhook Bourbon app. It is Pinhook AR. AR. I was going to say Pinhook AF, but 
That's kind of awesome, too. (laughs) It's Pinhook AR for augmented reality. It is a cool app. We talk more about it on Friday, but you can actually take the app, put it up against a bottle. They will tell you all the cool things about that release. So it works with Bourbon Country, Rye Humor, and Bourbon and Rye. So go ahead and download that on your iTunes store. If you have an Android you might as well turn that thing in and buy an <laughs> iPhone, and then you can get the Pinhook app. Sean, anything else you want to say before we close out this short episode? Um, I think I, I have uh, I've said enough, but thank you guys. As usual, it's always fun to catch up. And I think ultimately, for me, you guys represent the spirit of what got me into this in the first place, which is just a love of bourbon and people that like um, exploring it and having a curiosity about it and that's that's kind of the same kind of enthusiast ethos that we bring to what we do so thank you and cheers cheers you can go ahead and find us on facebook at dad's drinking bourbon twitter at bourbon dads instagram at dad's drinking bourbon find us on your favorite podcast app please leave us an open and honest review we'd love to hear from you zeke where else can the folks find us good old nashville tennessee cheers ciao